0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter 10. We'll also look a bit at chapter 11 today. If you don't have a Bible right with you, there should be one at the end of the pew or certainly welcome to look up in your digital device where in the book of. Uh, First Corinthians. This is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church in that Greek city of Corinth between the years 50 and 55 AD. It's our fall uh, series that we've been working through this book of the Bible. I will remind you, and I'm going to move quickly here for sake of time, we are in the section where the Apostle Paul has commended the believers in Corinth in general for their spiritual walk, which is interesting in light of all the things he's pointed out that they need to work on. But he's also got a couple of additional areas of Concerned that he's working with them. Last week we saw the role of men and women, how we interact uh, one another together. Uh, this week we're going to look at this idea of communion, the Lord's Supper, and then in the weeks to come, the spiritual gifts. These are areas where the Apostle Paul has some things to say to the believers then, and we trust to us today. Uh, many of us have probably participated in Christian worship services for a good bit of our lives, perhaps. Uh, Even if we're here and we're new to Christ or newly returned to the church, we've probably been through a number of church services, too. And and that being said, we may have never heard a message about one of the central activities that uh, some churches like ours practice weekly, other practices with at least some regularity. And that is the Lord's Supper. One of the two sacraments, one of the three, what we call means of grace, together with God's word and prayer, those avenues through which God wants to pour himself out upon us. And so today we're going to take a look at that. The Apostle Paul has several things to say about it in First Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. So I invite you to read along with me, uh, starting in First Corinthians 10. Uh, let's start with verse 16 and then we'll jump into a couple of verses uh, towards the end of 1st Corinthians 11. Says so a cup of blessing that we bless is not, is it not the participation in the blood of Christ and the bread that we break? Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? There's one bread and we who are many are one body for we partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then that food offers to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And then jumping into chapter 11, first of all, it's land. for a second on verse 2. It says, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. And jump on to verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may may be recognized. When you come together, it's it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, the other gets drunk. What? What? Same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then listen to these words that we read virtually every week in our service. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about other things. I will give you directions when I come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you give us insight into how you are with us and present at the Lord's table and how you desire to feed us spiritually, that we might lay hold of that more and more in our lives Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the humorous uh, stories that my wife's family likes to to tell uh, on me, I guess, and on themselves a bit, is about the first time that they ever invited me to a, a large family gathering. Uh, Patience and I had been dating, my wife Patience and I had been dating for uh, a few months or so It was graduation uh, time in high school We were high school sweethearts And so it was that time when her family were coming in from all different places to celebrate that uh, special time uh, I had arrived for the meal at the th- time I thought that it was beginning. I might have been a minute or two late, but was kind of surprised to see everybody already kind of going through the, the food line. As a guest, I didn't want to be too assertive, so I kind of stood back and waited a little bit, perhaps too long. By the time I got my uh, plasticware plate and my plasticware silverware and my big appetite up to the food line, I, I looked in the first pot. It had been decimated. You know, I thought to myself, this family must really like green beans. I mean, there wasn't a little bit of green bean left in the bottom. Well, I was seeing the other pots arrayed out on the counter, so I walked over to the next one. It, it was scraped so clean it didn't look like it had ever had anything in it. And then, off you know, out of the corner of my eye, I spotted a little platter over there, and it had some paper towels. Kind of draped over the top of it and it looked like something underneath. And I thought, oh, fantastic. Some some hamburgers or hot dogs, some barbecue, something there. Let's get over the lift the veil. Let's see what's underneath there. It was just the fork, the serving fork, kind of propping up that that paper towel. I got so discouraged I even opened the oven to check and see if there was anything, you know, maybe something hanging out in the oven somebody forgot about that I could grab hold of. Nothing doing there either. Finally, off In the back corner, I saw that white glimmer, a teeny little bit of mashed potatoes and extracted from that bowl about a half a spoonful of mashed potatoes lives on for now decades in the Deskins family as the half a spoonful of mashed potatoes story. Well, of course, I wasn't part of the family. A bunch of the folks there probably weren't even expecting me to come. It was just a normal meal, not some holy special meal. And yeah, they might have rushed ahead a little bit in their consuming of all that good food. But it was an honest mistake. It's not so for the Corinthians, what we read about in these chapters, is it? They seem to almost be trying to find every way possible to go straight in the face and against the core meaning of the Lord's Supper, of their time gathered and recognizing who Christ is. In fact, they seem to miss his saving work completely, even as they're trying to act out the ritual that should lead them to it. Find themselves empty spiritually. Empty spiritually You can follow along if you want to In your worship guide With the sermon notes uh, section It's at the back of it And I think this is just a way to summarize The main idea in these verses That since the saving work of Christ Is manifested in the Lord's Supper It's made available It's presented to us It's laid out before us We should practice it With an eye to those saving purposes of God Now We'll probably say right off the bat in our collective defense that we probably don't err in the same way the Corinthians did of treating the Lord's supper as just any other meal. We don't really do that. We rec- we got these special plates for it and so forth. We recognize it. Uh, we we hopefully aren't using it as a stage on which to somehow visibly act out the disunity we might have with one another, even within the church body. Uh, we probably aren't actively leaving folks out of it somehow. those communion folks do a great job of making sure we, we've got enough each week. but we certainly all struggle with a couple things that these passages identify. one with with really participating with Christ in the sacrament. It describes in chapter 10 a kind of intimacy, a connection there that I know I frequently miss and the contrast too there presented between that and the worship of idols that really can't go together. And so sometimes we not only miss the presence of Christ, but we miss the opportunity for God to do a transforming work in us to convict us about those idols we run to that we are participating with in as much as we pursue them. And surely, even if we don't show forth uh, overtly the disunity we might have, even in a small church body like ours. There's probably been some ruffled feathers. There's probably been some things, say, that cause us to maybe not get along wonderfully with one another. And those issues are in our hearts, even if they aren't on display publicly. Uh, More than that, even though the sacrament screams about the work of Christ and his redemption on our behalf, Uh, we can sort of be ambivalent about that, or it can just become rote, right? We don't really think about it. It doesn't really resonate with us deeply. And lastly, uh, even though it's a good thing that we practice this regularly in the church, we may have never really investigated it. You know, uh, recognizing us pastors, as I said earlier, probably done a bad job of even preaching sermons on this topic. Uh, Maybe we all collectively ought to be learning and seeking to learn about this important thing that the Lord has given to us as a gift. So we haven't maybe studied, meditated, engaged with it. And we want to try to address that a little bit today as it's the next part of our series in 1 Corinthians to talk about this. And just because it's really good and helpful for us. Let me, let me get us oriented a little bit if we can then with all of that in mind. The first thing it might be helpful for us to get a little grasp of, and I'll go through this quickly, is just the different historical perspectives that folks have had on what's actually happening at this table and what it means. If you want to jot these down, you can as well. I don't think necessarily where we fall in any of these camps is going to uh, cause us to dismiss anything that the Apostle Paul says. The things he has to say and addresses with the Corinthians kind of would would be relevant to to any of us. But this helps get us uh, some perspective. Uh, Historically, folks in different churches and different church bodies have have viewed the the Lord's Supper in this way. One, as a memorial. Uh, That is that what we're doing here is strictly remembering what Jesus did. We shouldn't expect that there's some particular presence of Christ here. We certainly shouldn't expect that somehow this is being transformed in the body of Christ or those kind of things. We're just remembering it's an opportunity to remind us of what Jesus did. Others in throughout church history have recognized a bit more than that. They've said, you know, we want to remember, but we also believe if there's a participation going on, there must be somebody to participate with. And it sounds like Christ is actually working through this in a spiritual way, maybe not a physical way. If you hear my presentation each week before the Lord's Supper, you know, that's kind of where our church would land on these matters. Others in the sort of Lutheran church camp would say that Christ is somehow in and with like he's physically there with it. Um. The point being to kind of take a step away, if you know the Reformation from Catholicism, but maybe not as far as we would in our church circles. And then if you're familiar with Roman Catholicism or been in those church circles, that she teach a doctrine of what we call transubstantiation. That means that when uh, the priest oversees the service, the the uh, uh, crackers, the bread and the wine actually become the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. OK, so those are some of the different perspectives out there, I think, for the Roman uh, Catholic perspective. Definitely looking at a passage like John six, where Jesus says, I am the bread. You know, he also says, um, you know, I am the resurrection and I am the life and so forth. That uh, whereas we would take that as a, an analogy that we are to feed on Christ, that's taken in more of a literalistic way. That's a little bit of the historic Perspectives. But what I want to camp out even more, and if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus, you can follow along with me, is the biblical, the scope of the biblical passages. And I've got to be honest with you, when I was just preparing for this this week, I, I sort of thought of one and then I you know, started reading a little bit in Scripture and I thought of another. And it was amazing to realize how many different vantage points Scripture gives us to look at the idea of a meal, of a celebratory holy meal and what that means. now. And and in the past for God's people and on into the future, Exodus chapter 12, you remember that Moses, if you're familiar with the story of uh, of Moses and the people that they were enslaved, the Israelites in Egypt for about 400 years, God sends Moses to rescue them as a deliverer, a precursor, if you will, to to Christ. He lays down these uh, plagues upon the people that are pretty devastating to try to get Pharaoh's attention so that God's people would be let go. And the final one that is threatened and eventually uh, uh, put in play is the death of the firstborn of all all the people in Egypt, their children. And this is where we come into Exodus chapter 12. And read what is said. And I just want you to see it. uh, Study as we read this, the parallels to what we do at this table and the parallels to what the Apostle Paul was just saying in first Corinthians 10 and 11 says, beginning in verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the month, the month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb. So they're practicing this together. You see it? And at a certain scheduled uh, time that they've got to it. Tell all the people of Israel. Oh, goodness, I lost my place. They shall take a lamb according to their father's houses and a lamb for each household. The lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the world is being pointed to here. And if the household is too small for a lamb... Then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons they're sharing. They're participating in this together. This isn't about one having more than the other. It's about participating communally together. Goes on in verse seven and says, you shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. And it goes on and describes the eating of it. Turn to the next uh, section in that in that passage beginning in verse 11 it says in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened your sandals on your feet and your staff in hand they're ready to go out they're they're on their way somewhere this meal is not for them to just have now it's to be preparing for them to go somewhere they're going to be going out into the kingdom of into the land that the lord is giving them it goes on and it says it's the lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord and the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. It's something they should repeat and go on. It's no mistake that Jesus comes and initiates the Lord's Supper. When? and the Passover. As part of that Passover week and Passover feast. One or two other passages I want to read and then we'll make a couple of application points. Isaiah in chapter 25 if you want to turn there with me, you can as well. Isaiah chapter 25 speaks of the, the kingdom of God to come and points forward to it. Starting in verse uh, six, you, you'd be you know, edified to read the whole chapter, but for time, we'll just read six through nine. It says in Isaiah 25, beginning of verse six, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, feast of well-aged wine, rich food. Full of marrow, aged wine, well refined. And he'll swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that spread over all the nations. He'll swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all their faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be on that day. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in salvation. This picture of the heavenly feast is carried over into the New Testament. Matthew 22, if you want to look there on your own, is this parable describing the feast and the folks who are invited and how they choose not to even show up at the feast. They don't want to come to the king's feast. And he goes out and sends his messengers into the streets and says, gather all those who are willing to come in, who will realize that they are hungry, that they need good food from their king. This is what the scriptures picture for us. Lastly, if you wanted to look there again, Revelation 19 speaks in the heavenly kingdom of the feast that we'll enjoy, the marriage supper it's described of as the Lamb. Think, folks, for a minute about just the glimmer that we've gotten from those passages I read this morning, of the depth and the meaning and the context for what we partake of here at the Lord's table It's all a picture of God's redeeming work, of him providing for us what we need, of celebrating with us that there's joy in the kingdom of God, that we ought to rejoice in that. Is that on our hearts and minds each week as we come before this table? What a perspective for us to have. Well, a couple of application points that we can take jumping back into First Corinthians And I'm I'm going to go just a a minute or two long today to make sure we we get through this back in chapter 10 of first Corinthians. Let's highlight a couple of things here. Verses uh, 16 through 22. And in chapter 10, we mentioned earlier the the Apostle Paul saying, is this a a, a cup is a participation in the blood of Christ? It's a participation in the body of Christ. And then he talks about idols and he says uh, no, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. Now, he's already talked to the people elsewhere about the fact that it's OK for them to eat the food that comes from the sacrifice if they're just out in the market and they happen to buy an animal that was sacrificed in pagan worship. That's not participating in that. Here he's talking about folks that apparently are actually, you know, walking out of the worship service at at their church and going on to some pagan service and really participating in it. And he's saying these two things can't be together. What I want you to see for the Lord's table is and and I have to say, I haven't really thought about it in this way on a regular basis that when we come up forward, when we say proactively, I'm participating with Christ, we are at the same time saying. I'm done participating with my idols. I'm done having a meal with them. I want to move away from those and I want to find my satisfaction, my provision, my life, my sustenance, everything I need in Jesus participate with him and not with our idols of success and our idols of materialism and our idols of our racial or political identity and our idols of personal image and comfort and our idols of our children's success and all those things that we say. I'll participate with these. These will provide for me. And we find them empty. We find them empty. Second thing we see here is that the Lord's Supper is absolutely about unity as well. This is probably the one that we we probably thought about some some before already and is in our mind. But it's interesting. Look at chapter 11, verse 17 through through 22. I mean, it's just an early church. I mean, they're just getting started on being a church. And they've already this Lord's Supper is an opportunity for them to show disunity instead of unity. Great time for us each week as we come to the Lord's table to think about where am I with my spouse? Where am I with my friends? Where am I with my children? Where am I with the folks that are in my small group or in my in this church body here? Am I um, out of unity with them? Am I working towards proactively towards unity with them? It's an opportunity for reflection that way as well. And then look at verses 23 through 26. We read it often. They're what we call the words of institution of the Lord's Supper. But, but look at what it says here about Jesus and the Lord's Supper being a surety. That's an old old word that we don't use much anymore. surety was an individual. We would call it like a cosigner, I guess, probably. But it was more than that. Who agrees to be legally responsible for another person if they fail to pay their debt or perform their duty. That's what a surety is. Look at what Jesus does for us. It tells us here in verse 23 that he was betrayed. He took on betrayal for us. Tells us that his body was laid down. That his blood, his life was given out. And then in the last verse, verse 26, that it's the Lord's death that's being represented here. All of this is, I I think, probably, again, something we're cognizant of. But it's easy for us to forget that when we come to the table, we're celebrating the cross. There's a reason we've got a cross sitting on the table. Because it's a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. His sacrifice for us. Lastly, and we read these verses pretty regularly in our worship service, verse 27 uh, and through 29. But but we don't, you know, certainly regularly read verses 30 and following. Maybe we should. It's an interesting passage, you know, kind of hard for us to grapple with the idea of God's free grace that we're gifted and the idea that he nevertheless brings discipline, brings correction in our life. And it's just saying here, it says we we ought to be evaluating ourselves. And then that way, God won't have to bring his outside correction in. If we're sort of correcting ourselves, if you're a parent or you're around kids at all, I mean, you get it. You talk to your kids You say, if you will, you know, adjust your character and adjust your attitude and adjust your perspective, there won't have to be any discipline. You know, kids are upset about the discipline. You say, well, there's a simple solution to that. And the Lord is kind of saying the same thing. This is an opportunity for us regularly. Instead, we see, for the Corinthians, uh, as one commentator put it, he said, There are many who hold back from partaking because they don't feel worthy. There are also those who presume to take part without beginning to exercise the slightest self-examination. Opportunity for self-examination for us. Let's read one last a bit from one of the commentators I read, and then I'll conclude this commentator prior. I like to read says this. He says the main word that Paul uses to describe what has happened here in the Lord's Supper is covenant through the shedding of the blood of Jesus, the lamb. It's now possible for Jews and Greeks, rich and poor, libertine and rigorous men and women to know the glorious freedom of forgiveness and to have personal relationship with God. Those who enter into this personal relation, this covenant relationship with the Lord, naturally enter into a covenant relationship with one another. Thus, the covenant community is established. OK, we get that. We know Christ uh, vertically. We know one another horizontally. It's all through his work. But listen to the last sentence here. It says, for them, the Corinthians, the death of Christ was not central. The return of Christ was not dominant the love of God was not in control. In a word, it was not the Lord's Supper. Not the Lord's Supper. They were missing the Lord. They were missing the, the guest of honor, you might say. A few years ago, well, probably ten years ago. Uh, it's interesting. Sam was talking earlier about uh, Lifeline. My wife was on on staff, uh, just you know, part time doing follow up for adoptions with Lifeline when we first moved here, and uh, and we got invited to the Lifeline fundraising banquet. And, you know, they usually have some kind of keynote speaker, some special guest, some person of prominence and so forth. Now, we had been living in St. Louis for about nine years or so. Patience was from here, so she was a little bit familiar with these matters. I'd only lived here for like my last two years of high school, so I missed a little bit of the college football scene. So you Alabama folks might be a tad offended by this. I was situated at the Lifeline banquet tables all throughout the room. Buddies of mine that I'd gotten to know, this was at uh, Covenant Church, was actually hosting it. They were at some of the other tables as well, probably big Crimson Tide fans. And there I was, positioned at this table, just because my wife was on staff, sitting next to a guy named Jay Barker. I didn't really know who Jay Barker was. I think I knew that he had played football somewhere. That was kind of the extent of... You know, my knowledge Now we know him Our kids know him from car commercials That's how they know him I didn't really know he was Maybe it was refreshing for him actually To have somebody sitting next to him But I didn't realize And he was the keynote speaker too And I, I just kind of come along to the event I didn't even know that Come to find out, you know He not only played ball He played in some pretty big games achieved some pretty big things And he was there to be the keynote speaker Folks, let's, uh, let's try not to be that same way with the Lord's table each week to miss the guest of honor to not recognize who it is that's here with us who we have the opportunity to meet with and fellowship with while we're here at this table let's pray Father we thank you for the Lord's supper and we ask Lord that you would Enable us more and more to meet with you through this time that we enjoy each week. And Father, we thank you for your good word, which teaches us about these means of grace, these avenues through which we can experience more of you. We pray that you'd help us to grow in them in Jesus name. Amen.